This morning, uh, I came across uh, an illustration that, that uh, kind of captures this portion of scripture that we're going to talk about this morning uh, really well. <clears throat> it says, once upon a time, the animals decided that they should do something meaningful to meet the problems of the new world. So they organized a school and they adopted their curriculum focused on four things. So everything they did was focused on four things. Running, climbing, swimming, and flying. Okay, so you have running, climbing, swimming, and flying. To be fair, they said that all animals need to take all these courses, just to be fair. The duck was, an excellent, was excellent in swimming, in fact, better than his own instructor. But he only barely made passing grades in flying and got a very poor report in running. So since he was slow in running, he had to drop out of swimming and stay after school to practice remedial running. This, of course, caused his web feet to be badly worn so that he was, only to, he was only able to be average now in swimming. But average was okay and accepted by everybody. So that was the story of the duck. The rabbit, on the other hand, he started at the top of his class in running. But then he developed a nervous twitch in his leg muscles because of so much time to make up spent to make up work in swimming. The squirrel was excellent in climbing, but he had to count, I mean, he had constant frustration in flying class. And he, of course, developed, developed Charlie horses, they say, from overexertion. And he got a C in climbing at the end of it all and running. The eagle was the problem child and had to be disciplined for being a nonconformist. In climbing classes, he beat everybody else to the top of the tree, but he insisted on doing it his way by flying up there. And so it keeps going, and the story is kind of interesting, and I couldn't help but laugh because it could so easily reflect the life of believers and life within a church context. Because when we are called by God, we're called for a specific purpose. And when we try to do something we're not designed and called to do, we become average at the things we're really called to do. Each one of us, please understand, is uniquely created with gifts and abilities and talents. We're given these gifts to operate within these gifts. Primarily to operate within these gifts, so what? To serve the church, to build up the body of Christ. And invariably you hurt yourself when you try and do something what someone else is gifted to do. You also hurt the church in the process. You know, and, and the, it all starts when you, it all, this is where it all begins. When you start comparing what his gift is, what her gift is, and that you lose track of the fact that you have been called by God. And been given a gift yourself. You've been called by God to play an important part. And I think that's the focus we all need to have. And that's why Ephesians is such an important part for all believers. As individuals, but also as a church on the whole. And that's why I believe Ephesians is such a foundational letter for the church. And it's been used as a foundation letter for the church throughout all these ages. We know it's a circular letter. Meant for all the churches, not addressing any particular problem. But it's been a foundational letter. Something that the church has managed to, uh, is able to establish itself on. And so turn with me as we get to uh, chapter 4. We're going to read from verses 7. All the way through 16. Chapter 4 verses 7 all the way through 16. And I'm going to read from the New American this morning. And I know we have that on the, on the projector. You can follow along with whichever version you've got. But it says in verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, 
He led captive the captives and he gave gifts to people. And then verse 9, it's kind of interesting. You've got to pay attention here. You've got this parenthesis in there. Now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And if you read it in the Greek, it's one big sentence like he did earlier in chapter 1. I think it lays out the purpose pretty simply right there. Verse 14, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, (coughs) we are to grow up in all aspects. Into him who is the head that is Christ from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes, uh, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Man, there's so much in there and it's a mouthful when you keep going and it seems to all just go together. And it's a really important passage in scripture and a, passion, a, a passage for us as a church. And I, I think I'm going to kind of break it down into two parts really. Because he talks about in chapter 4, we know this idea. I mean, just st- take a step back. The whole idea of Ephesians, like we talked about introducing, it's all the overarching theme is about rich Christianity. And of course, we talked about the richness has nothing to do with physical riches. We're talking about spiritual riches. And so we talked about rich Christianity, the riches that are at our disposal because we are in Christ. Amen. That's the only reason we are rich, because we are in Christ. And you hear Paul's heart here because he doesn't want uh, the church and us here to be spiritually, spiritually malnourished believers. Amen. Who are just going through life where there is, you know, they're just going through the motions of everyday life. They're just going through it when there's a huge feast just in the other room, but we're not even interested in looking for it. There is no drive, there is no desire to live in the richness that he has promised. I mean, we're quick to live in the riches if it deals with the physical side of things. But are we really living in the riches or the richness that, are, that is ours in the spiritual realm? And so he's saying, talking to these people, and we know people who are just content living life. Content. They're not upset, but they're just content living life, thinking that someday, hey, we're here on earth, but one day we're going to be taken from earth into heaven. And in the meantime, all we got to do is just make it through. And we meet people and we know people who are content like that, who are, have that mindset when they don't realize that what we have at our disposal is the best thing ever because of who we are in Christ. What we have at our disposal is the greatest resource ever known, far exceeding our imagination or our expectation. That resource, that source is the power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That resurrection power that we talk about is the power of the Holy Spirit made available to us by God through Christ because we are in Christ. Living in that power. And here's the challenge, church. If we would only tap into that reserve, it's like you walking around here when there's this huge oil reserve right under you. 
and you're just barely making the payments on the land when you know if you all you have to do is dig deep in, you'll have more than enough. You dig into that resource, we know it never runs dry, church. It never runs out. But please understand that this gift he's talking about and we're going to get into right now is connected to that resource. It's only when we tap into the gift that we realize that it doesn't just stay here in this moment. It multiplies from here to the ends of the earth from now till forever. It keeps multiplying and multiplying till what? Till the maturity is reached in the body of Christ. Not just in the church but around the world. Please understand that that's what God designed us, the church, to be. That's what Ephesians is all about. And you come to this chapter here in chapter 4. And we talked about how in chapter 4 we move from the... There's this turning point in every, each one of Paul's letters where he moves from the theological to the practical. And that's exactly what he did here. We talked about it last, last Sunday. From, in chapter 4 he moves from the vertical to the horizontal with that therefore moment that he writes about and talks about. And the whole idea, the overarching theme from chapter 4, 5, and 6 is set up with that first sentence, therefore. And he says what? Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And the idea of worthy is not that list of things you don't have to do. It's the idea of worthy is living life in balance with what your calling really is. Living life in balance. And he's talked about it. It's a high calling. But how do you live your high calling? In a lowly way. It's a high calling to live a lowly life. A high calling to walk a lowly walk. And of course he describes it in verse 2 right there. With all humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance in love. And of course he uses that phrase being diligent, being intentional to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why do you live a life worthy? Why do you pursue? Pursue this because unity is important to God. Unity of the believers is important to God. Jesus prayed that we would be one. That we would be one and that oneness is evidenced by the world to see by the genuine love we have for one another. That we would be one and that's so important. Unity is so important that he says, hey, be intentional about it, Paul says. Be intentional about it, about preserving the unity. But here's where he keeps going on. And again, don't forget this unity. In order to be united, we have to be marked by humility, gentleness, patience, uh, tolerance, and love. And so he's building on this whole idea of unity. And this is what we get into right now from chapter, uh, verses 7 all the way to 16. He says, this unity involves diversity. This unity is talking about that we've got to pursue and, and be diligent about, be intentional about, includes, involves diversity. Verse 7. To each one of us grace was given. I'm reading again from the New American. To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The unity is produced by the diversity of the gifts operating in the church. Every believer, if you read this here, it says every believer is given a gift. Every believer is given a gift and he uses that gift to minister to the church. And in that ministering, he builds the body of Christ. And the whole purpose, again, unity Unity is the goal achieved through diversity. Unity and diversity, I mean, that's such a diversity is such a popular word right now, but please understand the diversity that we talk about today is not, I mean, is not what Paul is talking about at all. 
The diversity is nothing to do with ethnic diversity or racial diversity or political diversity. Doesn't matter, pro-choice or pro-life. The diversity in the church is not that kind of diversity. It's all about the diversity of the gifts operating in the church. And together, they make the body whole. When used appropriately, these gifts, church, these gifts of the Spirit, when used appropriately, brings about unity. And that's what Paul says we've got to be intentional about. Bringing the unity. When we use the gift God gives us to minister in the church. There's so much here. To, and, uh, need to point out verse 7 actually a few things that I want to point out through the scriptures and there's a lot more but just I'm just highlighting a few things here in verse 7 when he uses the phrase according to the measure of Christ's gift the gift the word there is in singular but then when you drop down to verse 8 right at the end the word gifts is using and that's in plural okay so there's a difference and the reason we'll get to it real soon there's a difference Between verse 7 when it says gift, one gift, and verse 8 where it says the gifts are given. The difference, of course, you see in verse 7 is the word grace that is used there. In verse 7 it uses the grace, the word grace as one commentator puts it. The word grace there in verse 7 is a one word synonym for the gospel. That's what he's trying to say there. When he uses the word grace, he's talking about the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to bear the sins of the world, die on the cross, was buried, but rose from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? That's the gospel. That's the idea. When he uses the word grace, that's exactly what he's talking about in this portion. And if, actually, if you look at, uh, and we looked at this in chapter 2, verse 4, it says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? A gift. That's what he's referencing to right here when he talks about grace. A gift. It is a gift of God, not a, resultant of, uh, a result of works, lest anyone should boast. So when he's talking about grace here, he's talk, when he's talking about gift and the grace, he's talking about salvation right there. Salvation. You know, when the lost sinner understands or the lost person understands what Christ did and accepts and receives that gift. That gift of grace. And he says each one of us has been given that grace, that gift of salvation. Remember, he's writing to believers right here. Each one of us has that gift, that gift of salvation. It's a gift from God. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can never repay it. And I really believe once you are truly saved, you cannot lose it. Again, I'm not getting into that debate or anything of that sort, but please understand, you can't take God's grace for granted, but at the same time, the idea that God's going to kick you to the curb every time you make a mistake doesn't understand grace at all. It's a balance we need to get at. So this first part where he talks about the gift, it points to salvation, and then from there he's going to build about the gifts, build on the gifts that we get in verse 8. And if you look at verse 8, if you have your Bibles open still, you'll see it's, it's designed, not designed, it's written, printed very differently, which automatically makes you think, what? He's quoting another source. Okay, he's using another scripture, and then if you want to know what he's quoting, all you have to do is look at the footnotes, and you know exactly what he's quoting. And what is he referencing there? He's referencing in that portion, uh, Psalm 68, verse 18. Of course... Paul takes that psalm and applies it in a broader perspective to the church. It says in verse, uh, it says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, this is verse 8, sorry, 4 verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives and he gave gifts. This is the plural part of it. He gave gifts to people. The first gift was singular, talking about salvation that he gave to everybody. But now he also says what? He gave gifts to people. Gifts, like I said. Going beyond just the gift of salvation and referring to the gifts of the Holy Spirit right now. The spiritual gifts. 
That's why it's in plural. Spiritual gifts. And it's kind of fascinating, and I'll get to that a little more. But just a few things I want to show about uh, spiritual gifts as someone puts it to defining it this way. Okay, spiritual gifts you're talking about. It's a supernatural ability, a supernatural skill that Christ gives us, which enable us to perform a function within the body of Christ with effectiveness and ease. Thus keeping the body healthy and making it whole. I thought it was interesting. It's a supernatural ability. Talking about supernatural gifts, spiritual gifts. Supernatural ability, supernatural skill that Christ gives us. Which enables us to perform the function in the body of Christ with effectiveness and ease. Keeping the body healthy and building it up till it's made whole. That's the idea of spiritual gifts. By the way. Uh, the list of spiritual gifts, they are mentioned four times in the New Testament, and you can look at it. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians 12, if you want to write it down and look at them later. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about gifts. Romans 12 gives us a list of gifts. And, uh, of course, here in Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter 4 talks about two gifts uh, right there. And when you have time, I encourage you to, to read that. But I want to briefly talk about 1 Corinthians 12 to look at this. Uh, it's kind of interesting. First uh, Corinthians 12. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to First Corinthians 12, uh, and we'll jump back to Ephesians pretty soon. First Corinthians 12, and it's kind of it's interesting, especially uh, if you read and pay attention to how chapters begin and how they, uh, they've been divided. It's kind of interesting because most of the second half of, uh, of Corinthians uh, kind of starts with this phrase, now, now, concerning and now again you know and if you read uh chapter seven now concerning it talks about marriage and then chapter eight it's now concerning the spiritual gifts and uh sorry uh, f- chapter eight was now concerning food offered to idols chapter 12 was now concerning spiritual gifts chapter 16 i mean it talks about offerings and so it's kind of interesting he's now concerning uh, it, it gives you the idea they had questions that they wrote to paul and paul is answering okay so now Again, regarding your question about this. And so, it's kind of, sorry, I went off on a tangent. But it's kind of interesting. You need to learn to pick up those things that gives you the intention behind what Paul is doing here. But let's go to verse 7. Concerning, of course, he deals with uh, spiritual gifts. Verse 7, to each one. Okay, these gifts. We got one gift, but now he says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We got to get this here. Manifestation is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11. Drop down to verse 11. All of these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one. He distributes them just as He determines, as He wills. Get the idea here, church. Each one has been given a gift for the purpose of the common good. It is the work of the same Spirit which He gives, He determines, and He wills it. I remember being at a, at a, at a meeting, revival meeting, and this person there was just, everybody was standing in line and they were praying. And of course, this, this, this man was, a uh, preacher was, praying and like i'm going to pray god's going to give you the gift of this and i'm going to pray and god's going to give you that and the gift of faith and i'm sitting there like god gives the gifts you know this man is here praying over people and giving them a gift and i'm like no that's not what the bible talks about but you know what i'm saying god is the one who gives us the gift and reading something like this encourages me because it it keeps me when i read the fact that he gives each one a gift it keeps me from feeling inadequate It keeps me from comparing what I have to someone else because I realize he gives how he wills it. Because he wills it, I have it. If he wanted me to have another gift, he would have given it to me. It's the same thing here. That's what he's talking about. That's what Paul's encouraging. Each one of you has a gift because God determines you need that gift. And he's going to ultimately use it for his purpose to build the body of Christ. You have gifts that he wants you to have, not what you think you want to have. Let me say that again. He, 
gives you the gifts that he wants you to have, not the gifts that you think you want or you need to have. And of course, in chapter 12, he uses the analogy of the body, and I think it's a sense of humor right there. Just Paul is trying to add some humor to this uh, passage because you can't imagine, you know, what if the foot decides he doesn't want to be the foot anymore and wants to take the place of the nose. I mean, just that would not be a pretty selfie to post on social media, right? It's not. That's a sense of humor right there. We all have a function and a purpose and don't, again, don't let your imagination get the best of you, but it's kind of ridiculous and humorous to think that one part can do another part's job. Anyway, back to, back to Ephesians right now. <coughs> the part I want you to understand is he gives the gifts as he wills and he gives gifts to each one. Five things that I want uh, to look real quick uh, as we get back to Ephesians, uh, uh, Ephesians 4. Five things about the spiritual gifts. Number one, each one of you has a gift. We talked about it just now. Each one of us has a gift and probably more than one. Definitely. I think more than one. Second thing about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not the same as the gift of salvation. Please, there are two different things. Salvation is one thing, but the gifts, <clears throat> the gifts of the Spirit are something that the Spirit, God gives you through the Holy Spirit and something you need to discover for yourself. Or let someone else, some people are anointed enough and have the wisdom to tell you, hey, this may be a gift you have. So be open to listen to people sometimes. It's each one of us have a gift. This gift is different. The gifts of the Spirit are different than the gift of salvation. All the gifts that they have in the body, there's diversity among the gifts. Not everybody has the same gift. There is diversity there. Number four, and I love this one. All the gifts have the same source. All the gifts have the same source of power regardless of the nature of the gifts the power is the same power that power that raised jesus from the dead is that same resurrection power that is given to each one of us to exercise those gifts it's the same power it's the same source and i love this example i came across this illustration i came across because he says go into any electrical appliance store and i actually just went to our kitchen and looked on my counter if you go think about it a countertop what do we have we have a microwave, we have an air fryer. I forget what that mixing thing for all the batter and everything else is called. You all know what the... Yeah, but what's it called? What's the brand? KitchenAid. Thank you. That KitchenAid mixing bowl. Then we have the Keurig machine. And then we have another kind of appliance. I don't even know what it does. But they all have one thing in common. You look on your kitchen counter, you look at all these appliances, they have one thing in common. They all have a cord that needs to be plugged in to the source. Doesn't matter that they all have a different purpose. They have one source. That makes sense to me. The gifts are different, but the giver is the same. The source is the same, but they function very differently. I cannot throw my coffee pot into that KitchenAid uh, bowl and expect coffee to come out. That's the point. Each gift is different, but each gift has the, same, so has the same source of power. Number five, fifth thing about spiritual gifts is this. The purpose of giving these gifts is so that the body of Christ will be built up into maturity. Amen. The body of Christ will be built up into maturity. That's how you know it is a gift from God. Because if it doesn't serve the body of Christ, it's not a gift from God. If it doesn't edify, I'm using that word, edify the body of Christ, it is not a gift from God. And please understand this, and we say this about the blessings that God gives us. My gift is not for me. I believe my gift is teaching and preaching, but my gift is used to serve you. You have the gift that God has given you to serve the rest of the body as well. My gift is not for me, neither is your gift. And that's why I cringe when people say, well, I love Christ, you know, but I don't like the church. I mean, they miss the whole idea of salvation. If you love Christ, Christ died for the church. How can you not love the church when he loved the church so much? Amen. You forget the purpose for which you are saved. You're saved to serve the church, the body of Christ. Amen. 
I don't know. I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Yeah. Oh, well. We need each other, church. That's how the body works. That's how a body, the body, works. We gather together. We encourage one another to love God and to do good works, to serve one another so that we will be made mature in Him. Maturity is about Christ-likeness, totally Christ-likeness. I was reading this and I thought, it's really good. If you are struggling as a Christian, the tendency to stay away from church, you have a tendency to stay away from church, when the reality is you're probably struggling because you're not there in the first place. I thought that was good. If you're struggling as a Christian and you have the tendency to stay away from church, when the reality is you're struggling, you're probably struggling because you are not there. Church is not a spectator or entertainment place where we come to and just be entertained and are entertained, you know? No, it's not that. We're here called to be the church, given gifts to serve one another. Amen. To serve one another. We all called by God for the sole purpose of building the body of Christ to achieve unity in the diversity of the gifts that he has given us. Verse, let's go back. Verse 8. Sorry. Verse 8. All the way to 10. Let me read that and then I'll break it down. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then the parenthesis. Now this expression, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. I know some of you are saying, what's this? All of a sudden he's talking about gifts and now all of a sudden what is he talking about here? I think it's really important we need to understand because this shows us the cost. The cost, the price that Christ paid so that you can have a gift. The cost. You cannot take this gift lightly because lightly, Jesus paid an astonishing, the ultimate price so that you are able to get the gift. An astonishing price to be able to gift you these gifts so that you, for the common good, could build the church. Build the church. Christ paid that price. Verse 8, of course, references uh, Psalm 68, verse 18. Uh, uh, 68, Psalm 68 is what we call a triumphant psalm or a victorious psalm, uh, a victory psalm. And if you read the history of it, it's in 2 Samuel 6 and 7 and 1 Chronicles 13. But what's it about? It talks about David when he conquers the Jebusite city and then he establishes the Ark of the Covenant on Mount Zion. Now think about it. You got to understand the context of this. The people came into the land. Jerusalem was not held by the Israelites. Jerusalem was a Jebusite city. Okay, and then of course they conquer, David conquers Jebusite city, and where does he go? He goes to the highest point in that city, which is Mount Zion, and of course we know what he does there, he establishes the Ark of the Covenant in Mount Zion. That's what he does, that's the history behind this verse. And when he establishes it, he's symbolizing God, you are the one who conquered this city. That's what he's trying to do there, and that of course becomes Jerusalem, we know that's what it's called. And this wasn't uncommon because all the ancient kings did the same thing. When they conquered, <coughs> when they conquered a city, they went to the highest point in that city. And there they declared their victory over all that they had just conquered. So it's a common, common thing, a triumphant psalm. And so Psalm 68 is the same thing you see time and time again in history. If you read, uh, read anything, the Romans, about the Romans and the Roman and the Greeks back then, that's exactly what they did. They went out, established this, but at the same time, what they also did is, when they came back, they always had this victory parade or triumphant parade. The generals would come back, and of course, he brings with him the spoils of war, and then whatever he gained, you know, whatever things of value he has, he'd bring it with him. And of course, the people would line the streets, and everybody would cheer. But one thing that he also got was, he freed prisoners who were held captive by the enemy. 
He freed those prisoners who were held captive by the enemy. And then he would take them all the way to the highest point right there. And that's the picture right now that uh, Paul is trying to get at. Hey, he, talking about Christ, he ascended. He ascended on high to that highest place. Christ did that. Christ, as the triumphant general, he ascended to the highest place. Far above everything else, Christ returning after his battle on earth. He goes back up there and with him come the trophies of his conquest. He's taking these captives. The expression he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. And it's kind of, um, he also, dis- he who descended is himself, he was ascended. I know it looks like a word thing there, but this descended, some people believe, you know, this, when he descended, they talk about uh, Jesus leaving heaven. He descended to earth, which was in total depravity. Okay, and then he conquered sin and the grave and then he went back up and ascended back into heaven. So that's one way of looking at it. But I think you need to look carefully at that phrase, the lower parts of the earth. I'm going to rush here. The lower parts of the earth. Before he went far above all things in heaven, he had to go down to the lower parts of the earth. I tend to believe, which a number of scholars believe that When Jesus came and paid the price for sin, he died. He descended into what uh, the Greek used the word Sheol, or the place of the dead. And there, while he was there, he proclaimed to the saints as well as the enemies of the cross that he had paid the price for sin and that he would be raised again. The Father would raise him again and that he would ascend triumphant into heaven. And so that's the idea that he has there. And if you read... uh, 1 Peter 3.19, it talks about the same thing again. That he went to these innermost parts of the lower parts of the earth where the spirits of the de- departed saved and lost a house. And then he went from there. He takes these people, the saints with him, transfers them what we call the third heaven and awaits the final resurrection. I don't want to get into all that right now. But the idea, it's very dramatic in its language if you read it in the Greek. It's very dramatic and it's kind of interesting. This phrase... The lower parts of the earth, when you study it, it's mentioned four times in scripture. And this, I think, is really, really cool, if you want to call it that. I find it fascinating. It's mentioned four times in scripture. Psalm 39, Psalm, Psalm, sorry, Psalm 63, verse 9. It's used, when it's talking about the lower parts of the earth, it's talking or referring to death by murder or execution. Okay, it's used again in Matthew 12, verse 40, where he talks about the heart of the earth. It's used in reference to the story of Jonah spending time in the belly of the fish. It's the same phrase, it's used again. Isaiah 44, again, he talks about this in terms of the created world being the lower parts. The earth itself being the lower part of this place. Isaiah 44, and then it's used once again in Psalm 139. Where he talks about the lower parts of the earth, it refers to the womb or a child in the womb. And it's kind of interesting, the four times it's mentioned here in scripture, it's really interesting. Because all four, all four instances that it's used, and it's not a stretch of an interpretation, but they all point to Christ in some way or the other. They all point to Christ. It's really amazing. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. Okay, he was formed in the womb, that's what. Psalm 139, it says in Isaiah 44, he was buried in a grave. The idea that he was executed right there. And then, of course, Matthew, where the parallel with Jonah, he was buried in a grave. The parallel with Jonah and the belly of the fish. And then, of course, his death by execution that's mentioned there also. All references can be easily overlapped to what Christ did. So it's kind of interesting. I think it, it points to that. But why? What's the point of all this? For us to understand the price that Christ paid in order for us to have the gifts. He just didn't give it because of how much he had. He didn't give it. No, there was a price he had to pay so that we can have the gifts. Now we need to handle those gifts. We need to handle those gifts in the right way. He was formed in the womb, lived on earth, suffered all that he did executed, buried in order that he might ascend to heaven in triumph. And when he goes back, it says, leading captive, a host of captives. What's he talking? These captives right there are the saints. 
the saints that he leads with him and then he takes these people with him and get the idea it's when he goes up there to the highest point with the saints and then it says then he gave gifts you got to lead read the way it's set up there then he gave gifts to men he couldn't pass out the spiritual gifts until he had ascended to the highest place it's the same thing then he gifts gifts the point i'm trying to make here is this the gifts did not come easy it came after a battle with satan and a willingness to bear god's wrath for us it's after he bore that the torture from man the wrath of god poured out into his life the willingness to descend to the lowliest place and then god raised him up and now he gives you the gift it came at a price he ascended far above verse 10 it says he ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things he might fill all things church i want to close with this first peter 4 verses 10 and 11 The point of the gifts and the way we use our gifts is to honor Christ, to use it to build his body by serving one another. First Peter 4 verses 10 and 11, sorry, I lost my spot too. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace we've been given salvation we've talked about it the idea of grace is the gift of salvation and now we've been given gifts and we use it to serve one another as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms yes. in its various forms if anyone speaks they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God If anyone serves they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him be the glory and the power forever and ever amen hallelujah that's the point church hallelujah the gifts You have the gift of salvation, you have the gifts that God gives us which are the gifts of the spirit. Each one of them is unique. Each one of them is given. Each one of us is given a gift to serve the body of Christ, to serve one another because God wants God is in the process of maturing, perfecting, growing his body. Amen. Growing his church. Peter understood this. That's why I like the last part he says for the glory of God through Christ yes. through Christ forever and ever and ever and of course if we go keep going in verse 11 he just goes on to describe more the apostles and um evangelists prophets and teachers and we'll get in that uh, get into that later bow your heads with me real quick Thank you Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. Hallelujah. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for grace that gift of salvation Lord. each one of us has been given that gift
if you don't know what that gift is, it's pretty simple. It's that he came, he came down to earth to die on a cross, taking my sin, your sin, the sins of the whole world. So that we won't perish, but spend eternity with God himself. My sins forgiven, past, present, and future forgiven. The greatest gift ever. The gift of salvation itself. And then from there, when he conquered sin, conquered death, and rose again, and is seated at the highest place with God himself, now he gives us gifts. If you're wondering whether you have a gift, let me tell you, according to the word of God, it says each of us, and you would fit into the each. Each one of us is given a gift. It's a supernatural gift that only you tailor made for you, if you want to put it that way. But it's not meant just for you. That gift is meant to serve one another, to serve the body of Christ so that the body of Christ will be built up. The gift was not cheap, church. It came at a price. The gifts came at a price. Let's honor him by the way we use our gifts. So I'll stand to our feet and worship him. Jesus bled and died for me. 
that price of God so that you could give us gifts of God and may we honor you God in the way we use our gifts Lord may we honor you God in the way we use our gifts to serve one another Lord to build the body of Christ the unity and the diversity of the gifts Father, we thank you once again for this time, Lord, and we thank you, God, for, for the gift of salvation, grace, that's been given to us, Lord, and there's nothing we can do to earn it, there's nothing we can do to deserve it, it's a gift. It's not 99% God and 1% us, no. It's all God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the gifts of God that you have given to each and every person here, Lord. The gifts of the Spirit, Lord, that you have given, Lord. Each and every person, unique a gift that just that just meshes in a God blends in with their DNA unique God Lord I pray you give people a clearer understanding of what their gift is God but more than that God may we realize that the gifts are not meant for us but the gifts are meant to serve one another and effectively build the body of Christ into maturity till he returns thank you father once again Lord thank you God for the rich inheritance we all have thank you father once again we give you praise we give you glory in Jesus name we pray amen amen Amen. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen.